Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi there, and welcome back. We're going to start with John chapter 12 today. We won't finish it, but we'll cover, we'll continue it again in another lesson because that's going to coincide with some of the Matthew scriptures. Uh, so we're going to cover John 12, probably the first um, dozen or so verses, something like that. Uh, but then this is also going to include some of uh, Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. So this is a story about Mary anointing Jesus, and so we'll discuss uh, what's going on here and uh, maybe give you some insights on what's, uh, what's happening here. All right, um, in John, then chapter 12, verse 1, says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. So now they're in the home of Simon the leper, according to Matthew and Mark. Matthew says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper... I'm sure that this isn't continuing to be a leper. He's probably been healed by now. Uh, verse 2 of John says, there, were ma- there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. In um, Matthew, it says, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head. In Mark, it says, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard very precious, and she broke the box and poured the ointment on his head. So I probably need to give a little uh, information about this and what's going on here. Now, the following things I'm going to read um, are not verified by church or current LDS general authorities or BYU professors but is here included as a possible explanation for these events. The church has not taken an official position on the marriage of Jesus Christ, and it is not accepted as official church doctrine. For these reasons, these concepts should not be taught in gospel doctrine classes. It's here presented only to inform you of thoughts and ideas that may be true, so you will be informed when you teach this class or teach this lesson. One Bible scholar, Sir Lawrence Gardner, has said, Many have suggested that the wedding at Cana was the marriage of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. This was not the wedding ceremony as such, although the marriage is detailed in the Gospels. The marriage is the quite separate anointings at Bethany. In Luke, we have a first anointing by Mary of Jesus, and two and a half years later, or two and a half years before the second anointing, it it doesn't occur to many people that they are different stories, but they are two and a half years apart. Readers of the first century would have been fully conversant with the two-part ritual of the second marriage of a dynastic, or of the sacred marriage of a dynastic heir. Jesus, as we know, was a Messiah, which means quite simply an anointed one. In fact, all anointed senior priests and Davidic kings were messiahs. Jesus was not unique. Although not an ordained priest, he gained his right to Messiah status by way of descent from King David and the kingly line, but he did not achieve that Messiah status until he was actually physically anointed by Mary Magdalene in her capacity as a high priestess shortly before the crucifixion. In the Old Testament's Song of Solomon, we hear again of the bridal anointing of the king. It is defined that the oil used in Judah was the fragrance 
was the fragrant ointment spikenard, an expensive root oil from the Himalayas. And we learned that this anointing ritual was performed always while the husband or king sat at the table. In the New Testament, the anointing of Jesus by Mary Magdalene was indeed performed while he sat at the table, and with the bridal anointment of spikenard. Afterwards, Mary wiped his feet with her hair, and on the first occasion of the two-part marriage, she wept. All of these things signify the marital anointing of a dynastic heir. Other anointings of Messiah's, whether on coronation or admission to the senior priesthood, were always conducted by men of the high Zadok or the high priest. The oil would... The oil used was olive oil mixed with cinnamon and other spices, never ever spikenard. Spikenard was the express prerogative of a messianic bride who had to be a Mary, a sister or a sacred of a sacred order. Jesus' mother was a Mary, so too would his wife have been a Mary, by title at least, if not by baptismal name. Some con some convent Conventual orders still in the Catholic Church still maintains the tradition by adding the title Mary to the baptismal names of their nuns. Messianic marriages were always conducted in two stages. The first stage, the anointing in Luke, was the legal commitment to wedlock. The second stage, the anointing in Matthew, Mark, and John, was the cementing of the contract. And in Jesus and Mary's case, the second anointing at Bethany was of express significance. Here the grail story begins because, as explained in books of Jewish law at the time and by Flavius Josephus in the Antiquities of the Jews, the second part of this marriage ceremony was never conducted until the wife was three months pregnant. Dynastic heirs, such as Jesus, were expressly required to perpetuate their lines. Marriage was essential, but the law had to protect them against marriage to women who, pro who proved barren or kept miscarrying, and this protection was provided by the three-month pregnancy rule. Miscarriages would not often happen after that term, and once they got through that period, it was considered safe enough to complete the marriage contract. When anointing her husband at this stage, the Messianic bride, in accordance with custom, was said to be anointing him for burial. This is confirmed in the Gospels. The bride would from that day carry a vial of spikenard around her neck for the rest of her husband's life. She would use it again on, her, on his entombment. It was for this very purpose that Mary Magdalene would have gone to the tomb as she did on the Sabbath after the crucifixion. Subsequent to the second Bethany anointing, the Gospels relate that Jesus said, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also shall that she hath done shall be spoken of for a, for a memorial of her. Whoever the woman in Luke was, she was married to Jesus Christ for the ordinance of anointing and washing the feet was one that a wife does for her husband. Likewise, LDS Apostle Orson Hyde suggested that it was Jesus' wife who washed his feet and wiped them with her hair. Mary of Bethany's anointing of Christ with the pungent ointment at the Feast of Bethany may have been, in a sense, an ordinary similar, an ordinance similar to the washing of the feet in the, in the second anointing ceremony. Thus we can see how Jesus' wife anoints him as a sacrifice, observes the crucifixion, notes where he was buried, and witnesses his resurrection. The essential elements of the atonement are all observed as a memorial to her. This is but one of the proofs that Jesus was married, for this is a, a wife's ordinance on her husband as a token of his burial. In Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, he correctly points out, because, Jews, because Jesus was a Jew and the social decorum during that time virtually forbade a Jewish man to be unmarried, According to Jewish custom, celibacy was condemned, and the obligation for a Jewish father was to find a suitable wife for his son. If Jesus were not married, at least one of the Bible's Gospels 
would have mentioned it and offered some explanation for his unnatural state of bachelorhood. Other events at the tomb establish the Savior's relationship with Mary Magdalene. Weeping, she stoops to see angels who inquire as to the cause of her of her tears, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him, she cries. The phrase, my Lord, in this case, would, would not be a doctrinal enunciation, but rather a first-century Jewish woman painfully inquiring after her husband. Orson Hyde paraphrases as it thus, She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord or husband, and I know not where they have laid him. Did G- uh, Orson Hyde said, Did Jesus consider it necessary to fulfill every righteous command or requirement of his Father? He most certainly did. This he witnessed by submitting to baptism under the hands of John. Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness, said he. Was it God's commandment to man in the beginning to multiply and replenish the earth? None can deny this, neither that it was a righteous command, for upon an an obedience to this depended the the perpetuity of our race. Did Christ come to destroy the law or the prophets or to fulfill them? He came to fulfill. Did he multiply and did he see his seed? Did he honor his father's law by complying with it or did he not? Others may do as they like. Again, this is still Orson Hyde speaking. But I will not charge our Savior with neglect or transgression in this or any other duty. It will be borne in mind that only upon a time there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and on a careful reading of that transaction, it will be discovered that no less a person than Jesus Christ was married on that on that occasion. Again, that was by Orson Hyde. Gentlemen, that is as plain as the translators or different uh, counsel, counsels over this scripture dare allow it to go to the world, but the thing is there. It is told. Jesus was the bridegroom at the marriage of Cana of Galilee, and he told them what to do. Now there was actually a marriage of Cana, and if Jesus was not the bridegroom of that occasion, on that occasion, please tell who was. If any man can show this and prove that it was not the Savior of the world, then I will acknowledge I am in error. And that was by Orson Hyde again. Bruce R. McConkie said, Considering the customs of the day, it is a virtual certainty that one of Mary's children was being married. That's at the marriage of Cana. Orson Hyde also said, I discover that some of the Eastern papers represent me as a great blasphemer because I said in my lecture on marriage, at least at our last conference, that was October of 1854, that Jesus Christ was married at Cana of Galilee, that Mary, Mary Martha and others were his wives, and that, he, and that he beget children. If Jesus beget children, he only did that which he had seen his father do. So anyway, that's uh, some information that I thought might be interesting. Uh, you can believe that or not. Um, some of you might be upset that I've read that, but uh, anyway, I just wanted you to know that there are some things about Jesus being married here that it's obvious that Jesus had to be married. Um, if uh, Doctrine and Covenants mentions that in order to be exalted, you have to be sealed to a spouse, then Jesus would have complied with that. He was not exempt from the commandments of God, too. Back to John chapter 12. Uh, is that where I'm at? John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Uh, verse uh, 4 says, Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which would betray him, Why was this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Uh, this is worth about 300 pence, which is uh, about 300 days' wages. So this is uh, almost a year's salary. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag or bear what was put in, put therein. In other words, he had the money bag, the purse. Then said Jesus, Let her alone, for she hath preserved this ointment until now, that she might anoint me in token of my burial. 
The anointing of the Savior's feet by Mary with this expensive ointment was for her the highest possible expression of her love. There could not have been a more extraordinary way for her to communicate her feelings of reverence and gratitude for what he had done for her and her family. To anoint the head of a, a guest was, with ordinary oil was to do him honor. To honor his, to anoint his feet was to show unusual and signal regard, but the anointing of head and feet with spikenard and in such abundance was an act of reverential homage rarely rendered even to kings. Mary's act was an expression of adoration. It was the fragrant outwelling of a heart overflowing with worship and affection. That was by Talmadge. Verse 8, For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Elder McConkie said, uh, as he recounts the story from Matthew 26, and then adds, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Is he intimating there a more, there's, that there is more to the story than what we have in the Scripture? Is this truly the marriage anointing of Jesus by Mary of the Messiah? At the end, anyway, that's what, uh, that's what I believe, that this is actually the marriage ceremony that's happening, the continuation or the finality or the, how they ended the ceremony. Anyway, uh, back to John chapter 12, verse 9. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day came, on the next day, uh, I'm sorry, 12. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. All right, I'm going to end there, and uh, we'll see what we'll pick it up next next time. Thanks for being here. See ya. Bye.